right, good morning. It is good to see you all. It is good to be here, to be together in the house of the Lord, to be able to worship him in song and in the hearing of his word and in prayers. And now as we prepare to study his word, I pray that God would be glorified. Now, before we jump into this, I want to take a moment and welcome back the entire Allen family who is with us again. So welcome back, guys. Uh, For those of you who don't know the Allen family, they have been away uh, serving uh, Sharon with the Air Force um, in Wyoming uh, for what feels like an eternity, Um, but but it's been two years up in Wyoming, and so now they are back. Sharon is officially retiring, uh, which means Jose now has to step up his game a little bit more, and so Sharon is nodding in approval and affirmation. I'm only saying that, Jose, because Sharon said it needed to be said. So there it was. So anyway, it's good to have you guys back. It's good to see all of you back. Um, and man, I'm looking forward to catching up with each of you guys and uh, just hearing uh, what's been happening. And so we're going we're to celebrate Sharon's retirement uh, together here in July. And so more on that to come um, as we talk a little bit about that and we get a little further down the road. So again, it's good to see you all. Again, to our fathers in the room, whether you're a dad now, a dad-to-be, uh, a granddad. Uh, I don't know if we, have, we, we may, I think we do have some great granddads in the room as well. Uh, yeah, point around. I see a couple great granddads back there. Uh, happy Father's Day uh, to you brothers. And so I'm thankful that you're here. Well, we are uh, back in our study through the epistles of John. This is our series called Abiding Light. Our plan is to finish 1 John chapter 4 today. And what we are about to see is John is going to return to a very common theme that we've already seen through uh, the back half of his letter, which is the word love. Now, as we said a few weeks ago, Everyone has an opinion on love, and um, what is also true with that statement is everyone has an opinion on what it means to say God is love. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but Christians no longer corner the market on using the phrase God is love. In fact, often now we're hearing this phrase repeated over and over and over again to the point where many secularists who use this particular phrase have now either overstated it or oversimplified it in how it is being used. So I think it's safe to say that we now live in a time where the definition of love or the very definition of God is love has now been confused by what we believe it means versus what the word of God says that it means. In fact, I don't know about you, but I keep hearing people talk about love. And once I hear that phrase, uh, particularly coming from people who are not of like-minded faith, I'm immediately drawn back to one of my favorite quotes from what I believe is one of the all-time great movies that everyone should see. And there's a particular character in that movie who says, you keep saying that word, but I don't think it means what you think it means. Many of you pick up on that pretty quickly. So what is love? Better yet, what does the word of God say about love? Well, my hope today is that we will see that God is love and that it is this love is seen through the sending of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. And yet at the same time, it's God's love which is now perfected and then put on display within us as it leads us to serve others. And so this morning, we will be hearing from John as he speaks about the two loves. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you now to turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, and we will begin reading in verse 7. Now, once you have found your place in the Word of God, if you can and you are able, I would now invite you to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now again, this is the epistles of John in 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, John writes, Beloved, 
Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, He is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you for this time. And Lord, we thank you for this morning and the opportunity that we have over these next few moments to spend time in your word. Father, I pray that as we study your word together, we ask that you and you alone would be glorified. Father, I pray that as we walk through this passage together, Father, help us to not only see that you, Lord, are love, but Father, help us to realize that you have also called us to love one another. So Father, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see. Prepare our hearts as we hear from your word. Lord, we love you. We thank you that as we read in this text, we love because you first loved us. And so God, we thank you for the love that you have shown us. And in these next few moments, we pray that you and you alone will be glorified. Jesus, again, we love you, we thank you, we praise you. And it's in your precious and holy name we pray, amen. Thank you, you can be seated. Well, now, several times in the word, God gives us his definition of love. In fact, you see God's love throughout the Old Testament. You see it all the way through the New Testament. And so by the time we get to 1 John, John, in following the pattern of other writers in the Bible, now addresses love several times in his letter. We've already seen in chapter 2, verses 7 through 11, that love is an indication of one who is walking in the light. Again, in chapter 3, verses 11 through 24, we see that living in love gives evidence that we are now children of God. So as we come to our text today here in 1 John chapter 4, John will now put his thoughts on love in full view for the local church. You see, John will begin by talking about how 
God is love. And then it is God who is the origin of love. And then John will move to teaching us how we now as children of God, as those who believe in God, are now called to love one another. So let's begin in verses 7 through 12 and see in our text what John means when he says that God is love. In verses 7 and 8, John opens by telling us that love originates with God. You see, John, in uh, in his letters here, has actually used the word love over 30 times throughout this letter. And so this has led many scholars to argue and believe and then to call John the apostle of love. And so now knowing this, I think it's safe to assume that John is clearly an expert witness on God's love for his people and also our love for him. But now I want us to pay careful attention because with each time we see the word love mentioned, particularly in our text today, John is not just speaking of any kind of love. Rather, he's speaking to the agape love that exists between God and man. And so John begins by saying, love one another. Here John is encouraging people to love, which he then quickly follows up with the reason why we are to love when he says, for love is from God and whoever has been born and whoever loves has been born of God. You see, John now teaches that we are called to love because love itself originated with God the Father. So at the same time, if we do love, then that love reveals that we are now children of God. Now, I love what John Piper says about this point. He says, love is from God the way heat is from fire or the way light is from the sun. You see, love clearly begins with God, and then love is seen in our lives as evidence that we now belong to God. Now, coming into our text, we get both a positive affirmation in verse 7 and a warning in verse 8. John is pointing us to the source of love and how it is that we now reflect that source. But then he takes it one step further when he says, and anyone who does not love does not know God. You see, John reveals to us that if we don't love, if we don't care for our enemies, even if we don't care for our brothers and sisters, then we do not know God. Now, this may seem like a very harsh thing for us to hear. This may seem like a a very harsh thing for John to say, but John reminds us again that God is love. And therefore, since God is love, love is now the very nature of God. So if God is love, then then it now has to be a command as those who were created in his image to love as well in the same way that God has loved us. You see, John literally reminds us that love does not define God. Rather, it is God who is the one who defines love. And according to God, in John's own words, God is love. And so those who know God are children of God. And as his children, we now have the nature of God. And since we now have the nature of God as God's children, because God loved us, we too will love. So by living a life of love, we now show a dying world that we 
know God. John moves from there into verses 9 and 10, and he now takes us from talking about the origin of love, which clearly from John, for John is God, to now revealing how God has shown us his love. You see, John answers how we know that we are loved by God and will always be loved by God when he says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. So we are now hearing from John how God has revealed his love or put his love on full display for the world to see. And so John continues, God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Do you realize what John is saying in this moment? It's almost like a repeat of what has already been said back in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. You see, John tells us that God sent his son into enemy territory to a people who were dead. It was God who sent his son to a people who did not have life, who did not have hope, who did not have a promise of a future that is to come. And so now because God has sent his son, we now live through him. Or better yet, we get to enjoy fellowship with him because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This then leads us to verse 10, which is, I think, one of the most wonderful and important verses in the Bible. And so here we begin to see the magnitude of the love of God that is found in his son. You see, John says, in this is love. Now, I want to pause there because you can literally take this phrase, and it's almost as if John is saying to the local church, you want to know what love is? Here is love. And then John continues, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. You see, John is now saying to us that it was God who loved us before we ever loved him. It was God who proved his love by sending his son, according to John, as the propitiation for our sins. Now, I love the fact that that we see the word propitiation, especially in the ESV translation. I love the fact that we're using this term because this is one of the most important words that we need to know. In fact, we see this word used three times in the New Testament. Once in Romans chapter 3, again in Hebrews chapter 2, and again in 1 John chapter 2. Now, the word propitiation literally means to turn away the wrath of God by means of an offering. You see, John now tells us, in Christ, God made the atonement. In Christ, God made the satisfaction as he offered himself in and through his son. You see, by using the word propitiation, John is now teaching us several things about God. He teaches us that God hates sin. He teaches us that sin is serious. He teaches us that in Christ, we see the greatness of God's love as God provided the offering to turn away his wrath. He teaches us that God's holiness required satisfaction, and it was through God's love that God provided that satisfaction in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Now again, I love what John Stott says about this point. He says, it is God himself who in holy wrath needs to be propitiated. 
It is God himself who in holy love undertook to do the propitiation. And it is God himself who in the person of his son died for the propitiation of our sins. So man asserts himself against God and man puts himself where only God deserves to be. But God sacrifices himself for man and God puts himself where only man deserves to be. So it's at this point in our passage, we have to ask the following question. When was the last time we reflected upon the goodness of God, the goodness of a God who showed us his loving kindness, the goodness of a God that we can sing about how his grace is more than enough, the goodness of God who loved us enough to send his son to die in the place that we deserve. And he did it all because we were the ones who rebelled against God. We were the ones who sinned against God. We were the ones who decided to build these paper thrones and say, sorry, God, your throne is not enough. We were the ones who tried to take his place. And yet, in spite of our wretchedness, in spite of our sin, it was still God who chose to love us first. When was the last time we reflected upon the amazing grace that comes from knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was given to us by God the Father. Now we come to verse 11 and 12, and here comes the hinge verse that begins to transition us from God being loved to what we're gonna see as our second love here in just a moment. Now for the second time in our passage, John uses the phrase beloved. Now again, I wanna point this out, uh, not to keep bringing it up every week to show you how many times John keeps using this phrase, but rather I want us to see that John is not transitioning to a new subject when he uses the word beloved this time. Rather, he is now gonna build upon what it is that he's already stated back in verses seven through 10. And so many scholars have actually referred to this moment as a greater to lesser argument that John is trying to make. Now, let me unpack that for a moment. John here, in this one moment, to paraphrase, is saying to us that if God loves us in the way that's already been discussed, and if you believe what it is that I am saying to you, and if you believe that you are now a believer in Jesus Christ, then naturally, as Christians, we ought to show our love for God and how it is we now love one another. And so in our text, John continues that we also ought to love one another. John is now beginning to introduce us to our second love as he teaches us that we, as those who were born of God and now know the love of God, that we are the ones who are called to daily live out who we are and to do so through how we love one another. And so the question has to come for us this morning, how are we doing at loving one another? I'm going to go ahead and tell you from the the seat that I sit in, I think as Christians across our country, we are doing a poor job of loving one another. We are doing a poor job of loving people who do not have the same faith that we do. We do a poor job of pointing people to Jesus Christ and the love that can be found for Christ. In fact, I often find myself asking this question. If Paul were to walk into our church today as Saul, would he be welcomed here? 
Would he be shown the same grace that was shown to him when we read his story in the book of Acts? And I just don't know if that's true. And the reason why I say that is because look at how divided we've become because of our politics. And I'm not talking about our country. I'm talking about our churches. Just this past week, we had our annual convention of Southern Baptists. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it's, uh, honestly, I don't know how to describe this. I, what, it's just a very interesting time. We'll just leave it at that. But here's what ended up happening. 15,000 Southern Baptists converged on Nashville, Tennessee. I am quite confident that by the end of the convention on Wednesday night, Nashville was completely out of barbecue. I'm convinced they were out of food because if there's one thing we do well as Baptists, we argue well and we eat well. That's just what we do. It's amazing to me how every time we get ready for a convention, there's always some argument that comes up. But what blew me away was as I was listening to these sessions, it was amazing to me to hear brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ argue over things that simply are not relevant to the word of God. They weren't even talking about Jesus Christ. They were talking about tertiary issues that really should not matter for the church. But that's what we do. And sadly, this is what our world is now known for. It is what we are now known for in the world. We're known for all the things that we hate. We're known for all the things that that disgust us. And then what makes matters worse is when our own personal preferences aren't being met, then we want to bludgeon one another to death. And we're the ones that are supposed to be Christians who, according to the text, are known by our love. If people walk in and all of a sudden their theology may be slightly different from us, and yes, theology does matter, but if it's not identical to what it is that we believe, we want to bludgeon them to death for it. Why? The only thing that should matter is the good news of Jesus Christ. All the other stuff we can sort out later. Why is it that as Christians we take pride in destroying one another? Why is it as Christians we take pride in destroying people? Which, oh, by the way, all people, all people, Christian or not, all people were created in the image of God. Do you hear that? Let me paraphrase it for you. That Democrat was not created by Satan. Okay? That person who has a different theological view from you, they were not created by the devil. All people were created in the image of God. And so why are we not doing a better job when it comes to loving one another and handling one another with grace? Now, coming back to our text, we get to verse 12, and many people look at verse 12 and they kind of get confused because they read John's words. John says, no one has ever seen God. Now, I want to be careful for how we interpret this because John is implying here the careful observing and close examination of the essence and the glory and the majesty of God. Now, yes, in the Old Testament, there are visions of God and there are revelations of God. These are known as theophanies, and we actually see these stories in God's encounter with Moses in Exodus 33. We also see it in Isaiah chapter 6. But in each of these encounters... We see that both Isaiah and Moses could barely handle just a glimpse of God. 
And so listen to what John is arguing. John is saying that no one can see God directly in his essence. However, we can see God through the lives of those who live out his love for others. So John tells us that if we love one another, then that love is now proof that God continues to abide in us and that love that we have for one another now reflects the nature and the essence and the majesty that is God. And so John now teaches us to say that God is love. We are now recognizing that God is the source, the maintenance, and the perfection of what it is that love is when it comes to God is love. This leads to our second love that John speaks of in verses 13 through 21, which is where he says that we are called to love one another. You see, John now turns his attention to how when we love one another, when we now have assurance in what is coming, when we love one another, we can now have confidence in what will happen at the seat of judgment. When we love one another, we are then given power that is given to us by God to reflect his love and character to a lost and dying world. So when we look again at verses 13 through 16, we see that love and the way we show love gives assurance to who we are in Christ Jesus. And so John teaches this by telling us that our love for others now reveals that it is the Spirit of God that is now within us. Now notice that these verses are actually Trinitarian to their core. In verse 13, we see the Spirit at work. In verses 14 and 15, the Son is now spoken of. And then by the time you get to verse 15 and 16, we clearly see God was at work in salvation. You see, these passages passages reveal that not only God's love for us, but they also reveal the amazing gifts that we now have by the Spirit through the grace of God that is found in the life and the person and the work of Jesus Christ our Lord. And so John opens this phrase by saying, and by this we know. You see, John is looking for the readers to be assured of their faith and assured that God abides in them. And he answers how in his next phrase, because God, he has given us his Holy Spirit. You see, John now tells us that we know we abide in God and God in us because it was God who gave us his spirit. So if we confess that Jesus Christ is the son of God and uh, God's love is within us, we can now know that by the presence of the spirit of God, it is now God's love that abides within us. So for John, when it comes to loving others, we should not and will not do so because of the shame in our lives or the guilt or obligation that we may feel, but rather when it comes to loving others because the Spirit of God dwells within us, we now love out of the grace and the gratitude to our God who has saved us. This then leads to verses 14 and 15, which I believe is one of the strongest missionary pulls we see in the Bible. You see, John affirms himself here as an apostolic witness, so he addresses that confession of faith and the blessing that comes from knowing God. John says that he was a witness to the Father who has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And so now John gives us the basic root message of the gospel. He gives us the central truth to what it is that we believe as Christians. You see, since Jesus came to die for us in this world, an act of love by God, we are now called to share that message of good news to a lost and dying world, which is now an act of love for one another. And then John bookends this entire section in verse 16 by reminding us again that God 
is love. You see, again, we are reminded that God loves us. We are reminded that it is God who abides in us. We are reminded that God has called us to him. And it's that same God who is now calling us to tell a dying world that there is hope to be found in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so here's the question we have to ask ourselves as believers in Christ. Who are we sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with? We move from there in the verses 17 and 18, and John's now going to shift gears a bit uh, to a, a subject of judgment and fear. Now, again, John's point here is very clear. Since God loved us and we can be assured that we have the spirit within us in the way that we now show love to others, then we can now stand in confidence on the day of judgment and we have no need to fear on that day. Why? Because as John tells us in his writing, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So you see, according to the text, the purpose of Christ's coming was to draw people to him and to prepare them for the day of judgment. Now, when I think about having no fear, I'm immediately drawn back. I was a 90s kid, by the way. I'm immediately drawn back to the mid to late 90s, and I'm immediately drawn back, and some of you may know where I'm going with this. I'm drawn back to that t-shirt brand that everybody had to have that said no fear on the pocket, and then it had some weird phrase on the back. You know what I'm talking about, or is that just me? Some of my, some are older, some of the older folk, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you do? Some of you are smiling because you know, you know, because you're like me, you had like 10 of those t-shirts, right? And you wore them with pride. And then here's what happened with those t-shirts. You didn't really wear them to school, at least my school, you didn't. No, you bought one, you immediately ripped the sleeves off of it and wore it to practice. Why? Because you wanted your teammates to know you had no fear and you wanted to show the guns while you were at practice. I'm serious, that's what we did, man. And so I was immediately drawn back to this and I had about 10 of these shirts walking around like I have no fear. And what was great was at that time I was a new believer and I was using this as an opportunity to share the gospel while showing the guns. And I'm gonna go ahead and be honest with you. I didn't have big arms back then. But you see, as believers in Christ, when God's love has reached its intended target, which is us, which is our hearts, then God's work begins to be perfected in us. And a part of that work is driving out the dread of punishment from within us. In other words, the blood of Jesus Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit that is now within us, now becomes our no fear apparel. You see, this is the beauty of knowing Jesus Christ, that God's judgment and the fear of a punishment will evaporate as we continue to draw closer to God. And so I want to say to you this morning, if, if you're in this room and you fear the judgment of God, and I'm not talking about fear kind of like how, how Isaiah described it, like that healthy awe and wonder. That's not the fear I'm talking about. I'm talking about like terrified of it. If you were here and you were just terrified of the judgment of God and therefore it has made you terrified of death and what the end of life will be like, then at this point, I want to encourage you that you may need to ask where it is that your heart is. Is your heart focused on the Lord? Better yet, if you don't even know how to answer that question, all you got to look is no further than how it is you treat the people around you. Are you loving one another? We 
get to verses 19 through 21, and here John now turns his attention back to, to loving one another, but he does so by calling out the believers who say that they love God, but they hate their fellow humans. Here is where we need to pay attention as a church. You see, John reminds us we love because it was God he first loved us. You see, perfect love that now exists in us should overflow into loving words and actions toward others. So then we now get to John's argument here in verse 20. He says that if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. You see, John now calls out all believers here. He says, look, you can't say that you love God. You can't come and worship God. You can't come and, and be in communion with the believers and in communion with the Lord and in communion with the local church if you hate your brother. We cannot say, I love God, and then out of the same breath, out of the same voice, say, I hate my brother. You see, John says quickly and clearly that those who believe that they can do this are liars. Now pay attention here because John's logic is flawless at this point. He is saying, if you do not love your brother who you have seen, then how can you love God who you have not seen? You see, if we do not have the capacity to love as children of God, then how can we even say that we love God the Father? I love what John Stott again says about this point. He says, it is obviously easier to love and to serve a visible man than an invisible God. And if we fail in the easier task, it is absurd to claim success in the harder. So for us today, as we read this text, we are now being called to love one another in the same way that we love God. This means in our words, in our thoughts, and even in our actions, we seek to love in all things. I want to take this a step further. If our goal is to be divisive, if our goal is to tear down another brother in Christ, if our goal is to attempt to destroy the character and the integrity of another brother with no good reason, then according to John, understand that in that moment when we tear down a child of God, we are also now tearing down God the Father as well. And so again, I ask the question, how are we doing at loving one another? This is important. Because our love for one another will reveal our love for God. We get to verse 21 and now we get a summary statement of everything that John has been talking about on love going all the way back to verse 7. Notice he opens with the phrase, uh, and this commandment we have from him. So here is John telling us that this text is not a recommendation. He's saying to us that this text is not simply a suggestion. This is not like Pirates of the Caribbean where all of a sudden the code is more like guidelines. That's not what John is saying in this moment. Rather, he is telling us that this is a direct command of God. And then he gives us the command. He says, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You see, John now tells us that our love for one another cannot be sporadic. Our love for one another cannot be periodic. Our love for one another cannot be something that is convenient for us when we have the time. 
Rather, our love for one another is continual. Our love for one another involves care, and it also involves sacrifice. You see, again, the way we love one another will demonstrate to a lost world the power that is now found in the amazing love that was shown to us at the crucifixion by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So do we model his love? Do we reflect his love? Now again, I'm not saying don't have hard conversations with one another. We're gonna have them, okay? Why? Because we're a family. Families are messy. Everybody who's ever had a family, you know, you know it's messy. I'm gonna go ahead and say this and this is being recorded and my wife's probably gonna watch this on Tuesday. So Corey, if there was ever a time for the recording to cut out, this is it. My house has never been cleaner than what it is right now. I'm serious. Y'all laugh. It's true. It is clean. You know why? Because I have children. I have two of them, my younger two. And I, man, I'm going to pick on them because I know they won't listen to this later. Man, they're like little terrors in the house. They like wake up, they grab breakfast, they leave their plates out, they go to their room, and it's like they literally plan it. They just get all their toys out and they just throw them all over the house. And then it becomes an obstacle course for dad. Some of you guys who've been to my house already, you judge me because you're like, why do you wear flip-flops everywhere? If you could see the amount of toys that are on my floor when you're not there, you would understand. I'm tired of stepping on Legos. You, you know, some of you know. But it is, this is, the, this is the cleanest it's ever been. So the reality is, man, when it, when it comes to our own lives, sometimes our lives are much like our homes with children. Sometimes they're just a mess. And so sometimes with that, that means we've got to have some messy conversations with people. But it's in the midst of those conversations that we need to be reminded that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to love one another. And so how in those conversations are we now showing and demonstrating grace? You see, here's the beauty of love. Man, you may be here this morning and you may be thinking, man, that pastor really yells a lot. I'm sorry, I normally don't do this. Man, that's not true. Some of y'all know. I got Paul. Paul Simpson's looking at me with deep conviction right now. That's not true. I do. I, I get fired up about the word of God, okay? Some of you get fired up about the Tampa Bay Lightning and hockey. I, I, I just watch because I don't know what's going on. I get fired up about this, okay? Not making an excuse. It's just who I am, all right? But you may be here and you may be thinking this morning that you've not done very well at loving others. And because of that, you may now be concerned that your love of God is lacking. And can I just affirm you for a moment? You're probably right. If you're thinking that, you're probably right. Some of you may be thinking, man, pastor's not very nice. I'm just being honest. Don't worry, I have the same thoughts about myself too. And when that comes up, I just assume, hey, it's probably right. I probably have not done a very good job loving here. But can I just give you a word of hope for a moment? You see, this is the beauty of the love that God has shown for us is that there is now forgiveness. You see, when you turn over to the gospel of Luke chapter seven, verse 47, Jesus in speaking to the Pharisees while the woman washed his feet with oil and her tears, he says to them, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. You see, we have been forgiven by God, and not just forgiven by God, we have been forgiven everything 
by God. Why? Because as John has already told us, because of his love for us. So as believers, those who are called to love one another, we too are to forgive because we too are to love much. So now I leave you with a question. How are we loving one another? My prayer is that we would be known by our love. That as we continue to live and as we continue to love, that we would continue to draw closer to the love of God and that we would continue to spread uh, love for others. That's why you've heard me say this a thousand times now. I've always talked about how here at Southside, we're gonna be together as one, teaching the word faithfully and loving others boldly. You see, we are called to love one another. So my prayer is that as we continue to draw closer to God and our love for him and his love for us, as we continue to spread that love that we have for one another, that it would now show a lost and dying world what the true definition of love is and how it is God who is the origin of love. And so as believers, let's be marked today by John's simple statements. One, God is love. And two, as believers, we are called to love one another. You see, for John, these are the two loves that we are called to live by. These are the two loves that we are called to live out as we seek to make much of Jesus Christ, all for his glory. Let's pray together.